Joel chapter 2. We'll be reading the first 17 verses, the first 17 verses of Joel chapter 2. Hear now the word of God from Joel 2, verses 1 through 17. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain, that all the inhabitants of the land tremble. The day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand, a day of darkness Luminous, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come, great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like swift steeds, so they run. With a noise like chariots over mountaintops, they leap like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble, like a strong people set in battle array. Before them, the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation, and they do not break ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter at the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his hand. Very great, for strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and a great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes, let the bridegroom come out, go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach, 
that the nation should rule over them? Why should say, they say among the peoples, where is their God? The beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we look at this text, we see that the prophet warns Zion of the coming of the day of the Lord and calls God's people to deep repentance. The prophet warns Zion, his people, at the coming of the day of the Lord and calls God's people to deep repentance. Remember, the locusts are coming. That's what we saw, of course. That was a major theme of chapter 1. Those creepy, crawly, gnawing munching locusts. Now this, of course, could be understood of literal locust, with which the people in that area of the world would have knowledge, or of invading nations, I personally think, that it is a reference to literal locust, and I think that's what we're seeing here as well in chapter 2. But what this chapter emphasizes then is the necessity of absolute sincerity in contrast to hypocrisy. Absolute sincerity in contrast to hypocrisy. So the first thing we see here is the warning at the day of the Lord. The warning, the warning that comes at the day of the Lord. Notice the description here, verse 2. Clouds and darkness, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. And you know, if you look, what's interesting is, if you look at Exodus chapter 10 in terms of the plague of the locust, literally the locust swarms blocked the sun's light. But figuratively, it will be a dark day. Figuratively, it will be a dark day. And the Lord's judgments are often portrayed as his coming in thick darkness. A few moments ago, we sang from Psalm 18. We sang from Psalm 18. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. Verse 11. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. And so clouds and darkness, just like being in a thunderstorm. You ever been in a thunderstorm like that? That's the picture here. Notice verse 2. It is also viewed as a great as a great and strong people. There is, what we have here is the extraordinary nature of the judgment. There has not been ever the like, neither will there be ever anymore, even for many generations. As we've already mentioned, the locusts and caterpillars were strong by virtue of their overwhelming numbers. Verse 3, a burning fire. This is a reference to the total devastation that, uh, is, um, uh, that is caused by the locust. 
from the Garden of Eden. Think of the Garden of Eden. Beautiful garden. You may have been to a nice garden someday uh, at some point. Well, the Garden of Eden, of course, had, had no effects of sin at all. So here, the contrast then, the, the land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them, as they go through the land, and they, they are burning up everything, as it were, by, by means of consuming everything, behind them, a desolate wilderness, surely nothing shall ex- escape them. Verse 4, uh, we see the reference to them like horses and horsemen. <clears throat> we know from Job 39 that a horse is bold and daring. A horse paws at the danger, as Job says. And the lo- but it's like it's like a horse. A locust head is shaped like that of a horse. Revelation 9, verse 7. Verse 5, we see the noise like chariots, like the sound of chariots driven over rough ground. This is also compared, by the way, to the sound of a raging fire, like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble like a strong people set in battle array. I just saw a picture this morning of College Hill Presbyterian Church in Oxford, Mississippi, one of the oldest Presbyterian churches west of the mountains, all ablaze. So overnight, it was burned down. This building goes back almost 200 years. And just looking at it, I mean, you can sort of, just looking at that, you can feel the heat, and you can sort of hear the sound of it, too. And so it is, then, that it's like the sound of chariots driven over rough ground, but also like the sound of a raging fire. It is also an army that cannot be conquered, verses 7 and 8. They yacked in unison so as not to break ranks, They cannot be wounded and therefore cannot be stopped. And then verse 9, they are like marauders or raiders. They quickly go up and over and through the city. You cannot escape them in the supposed safety of your houses. They climb into the houses. They enter at the windows like a thief. And then in verse 10, we see the cosmic cataclysm. Things will be turned topsy-turvy, and there will be universal darkness from the heavenly bodies. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. And so this is, again, this is a figurative reference here, but that is how catastrophic, how horrible this judgment is. And of course, someday, someday, this will literally be true in terms of the heavenly bodies. And in verse 11, we see the reflection of the Lord's omnipotence or his almighty power. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? You see, it is the Lord's army which is causing this catastrophe. That's why it's called the day of the Lord. It's the Lord who's bringing the locust in judgment. And none can escape 
God's wrath. None can escape the Lord's wrath. Psalm 76. Psalm 76 and verse 7. You yourself are to be feared, and who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? And then notice one other thing in terms of this description of the day of the Lord, which we see in verse 6, the effect that is brought about, the effect that before the people, before them, the people writhe in pain, and moreover, all faces are drained of color. So you can see it on the faces. You can see the, the look of horror and, and of, of, of being overwhelmed. And, and um, what's interesting here is that instead of a pale face, as in you know, the color drains from a sudden fright, it appears that what is being indicated here is more the blackness, the blackness of consternation, of confusion, and of despair. So that is the description of the day of the Lord. But notice the warning that is sent forth in verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion. In Numbers chapter 10, the job of priest was to call the people by means of the trumpet to seek God's face. And ministers, my friends, must warn against the fatal consequences of rebellion and continuation in sin. And so we sound the warning as it were like a trumpet blast. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Notice the irony, having to sound the alarm in God's own holy mountain. And yet that is what is necessary. God's people need to pay heed to the warning. The warning comes in this regard, verse 1, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. Judgment will bring forth trembling. They should be awestruck by God's majesty. They should fear his wrath and displeasure. They should be repentant. For this day comes and it is near at hand. So that's the first point, the warning at the day of the Lord. But then secondly, notice the call to return to the Lord. The call to return to the Lord. Turning to the Lord. You see what it says there in verse 12? Turning to the Lord. And it says, turn to me. God says, turn to me with all your heart. With all your heart. Not part of it. That's the way you and I are many times. We have divided hearts. Turn to me with all your heart. And as a sign of that, and as, as a means of that, with fasting. Now this is not that, you know, if you fast, you earn brownie points with God. No, that's not the point. 
Fasting, however, is designed to enable you to concentrate on God rather than food. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with tears, with sorrow, with mourning, as it says here. And also notice in verse 13, with inner and utter, inner and absolute sincerity. Rend or tear your heart and not your garments. See, it's easy, relatively. It's relatively easy to do outward acts. That's relatively easy to do. But the Bible is very clear. It's not the outward show. Jesus condemned the Pharisees for that. It's not the outward show. It's what's in your heart. It's what's in the very core of your being. And so instead of taking your, your uh, coat or your, your cloak or your shirt or whatever and, and ripping it as a sign of your sorrow... The picture here is take your heart and rip it. Rend your heart and not your garments. And turn to the Lord your God. And so turning to the Lord with all your heart and with sorrow. With... Notice the widespread repentance that is here. First of all, verse 15, it's to be a national gathering. Blow the trumpet again. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Blow the trumpet. But on this occasion, in order to bring about peace, sanctify a fast. There were many feasts, but only on the Day of Atonement was a fast prescribed. But a fast is here called for because of the desperate situation. Blow the trumpet. Consecrate a fast to show that you're serious about this. And more than that, call a solemn assembly. Call a solemn assembly. A serious assembly. Get the people together for time of worship. And as you do that, that involves sanctifying the congregation. That is to say, they're being set apart for God's service. Notice verse 16, as the people are to be gathered, all of the covenant community is to, be, is to be gathered. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, the rulers, the presbyters. Moreover, gather the children, those who suck the breast. Even small children should not be excluded from the Lord's house. Let the bridegroom, we read here, go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. You see, the normal festivities, the normal gaiety, the normal fun. You know, if you have a wedding, it's a fun time. It's a joyous time. And yet, what the prophet here is saying, what the Lord is saying uh, through the prophet is that that normal sense of fun, of gaiety, of partying, 
must be set aside for public mourning, sorrow, weeping in terms of what the people have done in rebelling against the Lord. Notice verse 17, the special work of the priests. They are the Lord's ministers, those who minister to the Lord. What are they to do? Well, they are the, they are the go-betweens between God and his people. They're the go-betweens. They're the ones that offer the sacrifices. They're the ones that pray for the people. And we are told here that they must weep between the porch and the altar. They must weep as they are there in the temple as they are about to offer the sacrifices. They must weep. They must plead for the Lord to have mercy on his people, to spare them. This, of course, is a reference to God's wrath. But it also also refers, notice at the end here, at the end, why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? There's also reference here, is there not? to the reproach, to the attack by the enemy, saying, where is their God? Where is their God? And so the priests then plead for God's mercy, and that God would show that he is still united in love to his covenant people. Well, having heard the warning at the day of the Lord, having heard the trumpet call, having heard the call to return to the Lord, we now thirdly come to the hope in the Lord. The hope in the Lord, as we see in verse 13. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to Yahweh, to the Lord your God, for he is what? He is gracious. What is grace? It's unmerited favor. It's unearned love. See, sometimes, sometimes we are tempted to think about how good we are and how, and certainly I can think this, my more insane moments, or how, you know, how serving the Lord really does him a favor. You know. But notice that grace is unmerited favor. Undeserved love. That's what grace is. And that's what we see here. For he is gracious and merciful. Mercy points to his compassion. He pities us. He pities us because apart from His grace, we would all go to hell. He pities us. He has mercy upon us. He reaches out to us. And He shows slowness to anger as well. Slow to anger. This reminds us of Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34 and verse 6. And the Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth, slowness to anger, and 
kindness. Kindness, a great kindness. And also, notice the very end of verse 13 as we look at the hope in the Lord. Repentance toward judgment. And he relents from doing harm. Now, it's not that God changes his mind, so he doesn't repent in that sense. But, nevertheless, he is willing to turn from the threatened judgment. It's kind of like when a, when a boy starts to reach for the cookie jar. Okay? And what does the mother do? She starts to say, I'm going to spank you. And the boy suddenly decides that he will withdraw his hand from the cookie jar. And what does she do? She turns away from her determination to spank him. That's what you find here. God doesn't change. And what this is showing, though, is, is that he is willing to turn from the threatened judgment. And then, what does he do? Verse 14, who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. You know, the earth's fruits are called a blessing. And we talked about that last time, chapter 1. But the blessing also, as we looked at chapter 1, was not simply in terms of the fruits per se, but it was from these fruits from these good things in creation that meat offerings and drink offerings were offered. And that's the most important point. It's not simply in terms of feeding our bellies. Although God provides for us physically. But the blessing also is his presence with his people as indicated by these sacrifices. So, I have four points of application today. First is this. Place your hope in the Lord's mercy. Place your hope in the Lord's mercy. See, a lot of times people, and we see this in others, other of the prophets, people say, yeah, the day of the Lord. Yeah. Because those wicked people will get what's coming to them. You see, the day of the Lord here comes back. It comes not just to the folks out there. The day of the Lord was also to people within the covenant community. Place your hope in the Lord's mercy. Don't be so desirous of God's justice. Rather, plead for his grace. For that is the only hope that we have. Secondly, be warned by means of this vision, we might say, of the final judgment. Paul says that Christ's second coming will be like a thief in the night. And uh, you'll notice here, that in verse 9, they climb into the houses, they enter at the windows like a thief. Paul says Christ's second coming will be like a thief in the night. It will be sudden and without warning and unexpected and 
terrifying. And so what we find here with the locust is just a small hint, just a small hint of what the final judgment will be like. Let me quote for a few sentences from a commentator, Leish. This is describing those locusts. Disastrous as they were in the country, equally obnoxious they became about the homes, crawling up thick upon the walls and squeezing in through cracks of closed doors or windows, entering the very dwelling rooms. Women frantically swept the walls and roofs of their homes, but to no avail. They even fell into one's shirt collar from the walls above. A lady, after being away from home for half a day, returned with 110 of them concealed within the skirts. Whenever touched, or especially when finding themselves caught within one's clothes, they gave out from their mouths a dark fluid and irritant to the skin and soiling the garments in a most disgusting manner. Imagine the feeling we speak from experience with a dozen or two such creatures over an inch long with saw-like legs and rough bodies making a race course on your back. The earth shall quake. When anything neared, they are thickened masses hopping like fleas. It seemed as if the entire surface of the ground moved producing a most curious effect upon one's vision and causing dizziness, which in some was so severe as to produce a sensation not unlike seasickness. The clouds of locusts caused the entire atmosphere to be in a state of commotion as if the very heavens trembled, a very vivid symbol of the day of the Lord to which all these pointing. If the heralding plague is so great and terrible, who can stand in the fullness of the fury of the day of the Lord? And so be warned. Be warned today, my friends. Be warned. The day of judgment is coming. The final day is coming. And we will all stand before the Lord and there will be no escape. So thirdly, then, hold on to Christ. Hold on to Christ. Hold on to Christ. For we have here a picture of Christ interceding on our behalf. Of Christ as the priest intercede. So Christ, our high priest, intercedes on our behalf. He pleaded for us at the cross. He offered up a sacrifice with strong crying and tears with weeping, not for his own sins, but in light of what he was suffering, but also in terms of our sins as well. Hold on to Christ. And finally, be utterly serious and sincere about our approach to God. Who? Who, my friend? can abide the day of the Lord. Who can abide? We must rend our hearts and not our garments. May God give us the grace to do so. Amen. Will you please stand for prayer?
Father, we do thank Thee for this opportunity to hear Thy Word, and we pray, Lord, that it would be effective uh, in our lives. We pray that we might hear it with understanding and with sincerity as well. And so, Father, we pray uh, that we might be sincere, that we might have not a divided heart, but a united heart. Lord, we pray that that would be the case. So have mercy upon us, O Lord. Enable us to hold fast unto Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.